Gerontological Society of America. Meaningful lives as we age. There's a place for humor. There's a place for storytelling. There's a place for even personal acknowledgement of limits and failings. Welcome to the GSA on Aging podcast series. My name is Stephen John Fogel, currently residing around the University of Nebraska at Omaha in Omaha, Nebraska. I'd like to ask a question. Who are you? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Are you a nobody? Well, I guess that's more than one question. But my guess is that if you've asked yourself some of these big questions about old age, you're a human and you are aging. You've also heard some things about religions, spiritualities, and, well, let's hear some more. You raised a great point, which is, where did we come from? Where are we going? Uh, That was the title of Gauguin's last painting, by the way. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Still a great question. That's Harry R. Moody, Harlem Elementary School teacher, professor of aging and human values, fundraiser, former director of AARP, elder hostel, now today known as Road Scholar, author of numerous articles, essays, blogs, chapters, and books, including The Five Stages of the Soul, and currently involved in understanding attitudes of concern among older adults toward climate change and environmental harmony. In contemporary language, Harry is a beast, an MVP, and comfortable in gerontological goat conversations. And back in the late 90s, he was part of a core group of gerontologists revealing religiously and spiritually informed trajectories of aging. Among these included conscious aging. And I love the fact that you mentioned 30 years ago, 1992, which is when the very first conscious aging conference was held by the Omega Institute. And I was there. I cannot say that I was the organizer or anything else like that. I actually ended up coming to the event. It was in New York City at a big hotel. There were like 1,500 people who turned out for this thing about conscious aging. Who knew? And so I was late. I walked into the big ballroom, even though I was an advisor to them helping to plan the thing, but I was still late. And there there were no seats, so I sat down next to some grizzled old guy who was writing, taking notes. Anyway, I had accidentally, nothing happens by accident, I had accidentally sat down next to Ram Dass, who was not only a speaker in the in the conference, but was sitting there in the audience. And anyway, make a long story short, I did get acquainted with Ram Dass. He turned out to be very, very kind and helpful to me. But what I want to say about, to me, the takeaway message of what he said, and he was one of the keynote speakers in the, this whole event, He said this, which uh, he said many things, but here's the thing that is in the, put it into the bottle. He said, aging is the school of nobodiness. You have to go to school to become a nobody without exception, faces this challenge of how to become a nobody. Emily Dickinson put it best. She said, I'm nobody. Who are you? Are you nobody too? Well, Emily Dickinson really was nobody in the sense that she lived her whole life anonymously, okay? And it was not until long after her death that she became Emily Dickinson, okay? But think about this. When Shakespeare was writing his plays, Shakespeare didn't know he was Shakespeare, okay? Jalaluddin Rumi didn't know he was Jalaluddin Rumi. Now, in the case of Rumi, he really didn't know he was Rumi because his whole life, believe me, I speak from knowledge here, I learned Persian in order to read Rumi in the original, 
he was devoted to the task of becoming a nobody. And as we can see from his poetry, he succeeded and gave us all lessons in how to do that. So my message is don't wait for old age to become a nobody. I told you, dude, had serious game. He also learned medieval German to read the mystic Meister Eckhart in the original. But that's a story for another day. I wanted to talk with Harry about understanding future directions in religions, spiritualities, and aging research. So I asked him, how do gerontologists share stories and scholarships of older adults, aging, religions, and spirituality with medical, scientific, skeptical, critical, or other public communities that are seemingly uncomfortable with sacredness or the possibilities of divinity? Yeah, they're going to be uncomfortable. There's lots of people like that. And, uh, you know, my my son, our son, who's now 35, when he was two weeks old, he had a penicillin shot and had a terrible reaction. And the doctor said, never give him another antibiotic like this again or he'll die. This is not unusual. It happens to people who have an inflammation reaction a profound allergic reaction, like an anaphylactic shock. Religion is like that for a lot of people. They've been exposed to it. They've had that vaccination of religion when they were a child, and it was in the very bad form. Uh, you all know how that takes place. We've had those experiences, whether it's somebody engaged in oppressive or wrongful behavior or just dogmatism and unwillingness to, to listen. So we have to recognize that that allergic reaction, let's call it, that that negative response to religion is going to be there in a large portion of the population. Acknowledging this discomfort, I wanted to press for a path forward. I wanted to stand firm on the credibility of research that has been done on religion, spirituality, and aging. And I wanted to figure out how can we cross disciplinary boundaries? Well, the way that we do that is through storytelling. Stories are irrefutable, okay? Now, of course, they can be refuted in the sense that the scientist will say, well, that's just an anecdote. This often happens in medicine. But as my wise medical colleague said, no, the anecdote is the antidote, okay? That's Peter Whitehouse, MD, and PhD, okay? World-renowned expert on Alzheimer's disease, a part of the brain that's named after him. Peter does not preach religion, and I don't even know that he is particularly religious, but he does go towards stories, and he understands the importance of stories. And I think that great doctors certainly understand this, and they listen for stories. So you use that phrase, storytelling, even just a moment ago, and I think that that is actually the edge that we have to build on as we're connecting with people from different fields, from different faith traditions from people with no faith tradition. And the stories have to be those having to do with wisdom and love. You know, let's go back to the Bible again. Guess what? Jesus did not preach Christianity. Never, okay? He told stories. They're called parables. And people remember them. Even people who don't believe in Christianity. The Good Samaritan, that's a story, okay? This is not just true of Christianity. It's true for Buddhism. Zen stories, Sufi stories, every great religious spiritual tradition, I'm talking about the inner core, 
the mystical core, which is at the center of all the great traditions. They all communicate through stories. That's how the heart comes alive, even for a tiny second. How the heart comes alive, even for a tiny second. And yet, that there are at times conversations about how religions and spiritualities fit into a broader gerontological conversation. So a forceful thrust finds gerontological scholarship on religions and spiritualities boxed into biomedical outcomes. And in various places, religions and spiritualities are rolled up with research on lifestyle behaviors, social connectedness, personal coping, alternative or non-pharmacological solutions to cognitive declines. And in other places, religions and spiritualities inform conversations on biomedical ethics and dismantling structural racism across healthcare systems. How do you think religions and spiritualities intersect with current biomedical outcomes and public health conversations? I think we have the, the, the uh, prospect, I'm going to call it a prospect rather than a desirable outcome, of discovering that somehow religion is good for you, or it's good for your health, or something like this, makes you live longer. It might turn out to be true, or it might turn out to be a covariant, you might say, or related to other factors. It's a complicated question because we know that social support of different kinds is related to many aspects of good outcomes in life. Um, but we don't know why. If it turns out that people are better off because they're going to church or being involved in some activity, religiously inspired, motivated, it could turn out to be that religion is the main element, or it could turn out that religion is a, a variable. I don't want to see religion or spirituality, we can come back to the distinction there later, become a variable. I want us to do that work because it can underscore credibility and get people's attention and get them to start listening. And when they start listening, they may hear things that they didn't expect to hear, such as that religion in itself is not so much a matter of beliefs or propositions or even behavior, but what Tillich called ultimate concern, so that we may be able to talk to people who say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Common thing that people say. Well, they mean something by that. And it's one of the elements that I try to address covertly, I'll admit, in a book that I wrote, The Five Stages of the Soul. So I did talk about soul, but I did not so much push people to think, well, you have to be a believer, go to church, whatever you're doing. I was really concerned with their concern. I was concerned with their concern. Religions, church attendance, social supports, prayer practices, spiritual, not religious, socio-demographic factors, soul force. Truly, there is a veritable, fertile ground of questions for any of us to contemplate. But beyond decreasing healthcare expenditures or propelling us on positive aging trips, what else can religions and spirituality uniquely position us, us human nobodies, position us for in old age? Love, forgiveness, wisdom, sagacity, humor, elderhood, connections with divinity. Yeah, I think these are the right questions because people may not know much about God or ultimate concern. 
They may not even have time for attention to it, but they they know that all you really need is love, as the song says. And they also know, even if they can't recognize it, that, that there is such a thing as wisdom. Comedy is important here, too. But I want to pick up on this idea of, and you mentioned love and, and wisdom, when uh, Lars Torsten, who I didn't know well, but I, I met once or twice, talked about Jero transcendence. People may not even understand what that word means, but what they can recognize is that, well, wait a minute, you're older now. Haven't you learned anything from your life? Yes, there is such a thing as wisdom, even prudential, practical wisdom. But when we talk about love or let's say the wisdom of forgiveness, that it's uh, more blessed to give than to receive, that uh, you're going to be better off in your life if you don't stay with, you know, anger and bitterness at all the bad things that people have done to you. This is this is one outcome of old age. People can become more bitter. Uh, they can become less forgiving. But it's not a good outcome. And people know that because if they listen to Aunt Mabel, I really did have an Aunt Mabel, uh, talking about bad things in the past, they're going to quickly get unhappy hearing that. We want to hear something different from our old people. What we want is wisdom. And you use the term elders. This is absolutely what we need. Our whole society needs it. We need wise elders. Now, we may not have a lot of them, but we need them. Wisdom is something we all need. And if religion has something to do with it, and it does, I was giving some small quotations from the Bible in passing about forgiveness. I think forgiveness is very much related to wisdom. So we need to understand that better. And uh, that's where the science comes in. We need the science. We absolutely need the science. Well, Harry, thanks so much for giving us those insights on wisdom and the potentials for elderhood. As we ride out here, I want to ask you just a last couple things. As we continue the legacy that you and all the conscious aging scholars started in the 90s, what are some things that you hope the next generation keeps in mind? That we haven't quite, I'll give you an example because we talked about caregiving. There are things that people know who are in severe dementia. They know it because they can retain musical capacities, even if they've lost all kinds of other short-term memory. We need to know better how that happens. Why is it that musical memory persists, but other things may, may vanish? That's telling us something very peculiar about the nature of, you know, to use a Ferraro's phrase, the gerontological imagination. So let's not restrict ourselves too soon. Let's, let's be aware of the, the anomalies. Let's be available for surprises, even for the things that we don't yet understand. Maybe those are the most important things. That, after all, is what when people said, Socrates, you're the wisest person in Athens, that was the, uh, he was declared to be, he, said, he says, no, that can't be true. He said, I don't know anything, okay? <laughs> Socrates was on the path of becoming a nobody. Now, of course, he didn't succeed. Everybody knows the name Socrates today, so he wasn't a nobody, but he, he became a, a seedbed, a source of inspiration for Plato and everybody else down the line. And as we move on down the line, Let's remember what we talked here today, that there is a possibility to find harmony and heal the harmful effects of religion, that through storytelling, that the heart can open, even for a tiny second, and that as we move along this path of aging, we're moving along this path of practice of being a nobody. Any last thoughts? One more thought, please, Harry. 
If I were to leave you with one thought, it's that all the different religions of the world are like paths moving up a mountain peak. And at the peak, they become one. But moving up the mountain, they're on different trails, on different paths, and they have to remain different. You can't just leap over and, if you're a Christian, become a Buddhist and back and forth. You can't, even you can't combine them. You have to be separate sometimes, but moving higher and higher. And when you reach that, that point, that final point, whatever you call it, God consciousness, samadhi, uh, Allah, wherever it is, that's where the oneness is found. And let's keep working all on our own path. Thank you for joining this episode of the GSA on Aging podcast series. Please check out our other episodes in this feed. And for more information about the path to being a nobody, religion, spirituality, and aging research, check the show notes for some light reading. Peace. The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to cultivate excellence in interdisciplinary aging research and education to advance innovations in practice and policy. For more information about GSA, visit geron.org. G-E-R-O-N.org. G-E-R-O-N.org.